Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. We're sometimes fortnightly, we're sometimes monthly. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing really good, thank you. How are things there? Things are really good, yes. It's a very grey, gloomy day here in London. Perfect for settling down and recording. It's the end of January, which is the worst time in the year, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just long and slow and grey, and ages before your next paycheck. Yeah, yes, exactly, yeah. Been kind of holding on for that. Yeah, I imagine it's grey in Scotland as well, or is it glorious? No, it's pretty grey, it's pretty windy, and not much else to report, really. It's not been, there's not been snow. It snowed a lot around this time mm. last year, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like sometimes early February is the surprise snow in the UK. I seem to have many memories of sitting in the offices of the magazine I work at, shivering, and it being cold, and people saying things like, but aren't we meant to turn the heating off in February? And I'm going, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've got that to look forward to next week then. Yeah, exactly. So because things are gloomy, we thought, well, I thought we could take a little bit of a walk down memory lane and settle in with the bulging mailbag and answer some questions from patrons. Yeah, that sounds great to me. The the ancient tome of letters. <laughs> Each one hand-inscribed in a slightly reddish ink, which is a bit strange. I hope it's ink, the name's written. Okay, well, I've got a couple of questions for you as well, because uh, fans of the cast may know that we actually first began around this time of year. I think our first episode was in February. So this is actually our three-year anniversary as well and we've not planned to do anything special have we no i I mean i didn't know until you told me as we were starting to record (laughs) did you know it's been three years peter (laughs) yeah that's how much it it matters to you yeah maybe it's just become such a part of your life yeah 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 yeah. it's been such a long time since we've been recording just seems like i don't know just just that thing we do yeah yet again it's uh sort of like digging a hole you wonder how long you'll keep digging can't even remember when you started yeah okay so my first question to you is a simple one i hope what's your top arkham memory in the last year i think and it just sneaks in here it's got to be arkham in flames because mm. that was uh early-ish march right yeah 10th 11th i want to say 10th 11th of march no maybe a bit later anyway yeah. whenever it was that it was so much fun and just hanging out because i'd not been to an event with people who like listened to the, it was the only Arkham stuff I'd done would been with my friends, mm-hmm, yeah. Really, so it was the first time going to this this big event with strangers and also people who listened to the podcast. Mm, yeah, it was quite a quite an overwhelming experience to be honest. Yeah, I, I remember uh, the little uh, it was the, like the, shell shocked. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the circuits short circuiting in your head, like oh whoa, what was this? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But great, really, really good fun. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was an amazing few days, wasn't it, of having people over and celebrating. We're going to talk about Arkham and Flames a little bit later on, I think. Uh, for me, good. I I think I want to shout out as well doing the live recording. Not that I think it was our best episode or anything, but just, again, I mean, it's funny, actually. It's similar to you, that idea of actually connecting with the people who listen to it. And that being really yeah. precious, I think that is really cool that, you know, I often bang on about writing if you want to talk or whatever. And there's that feeling of uh, not really wanting the podcast to just be entirely one way. So, yeah, no, that was really special and really fun that, you know, some people turned out. It was a good number of people, I thought, and it was really enjoyable. Yeah. And I think honourable mention to the different conventions we went to, because that was also really cool. And that was all off the back of Arkham in Flames. That then Asmodee UK started saying, hang on, you guys kind of know what you're doing. Do you want to come and help us do stuff? That was really cool as well. Yes, I was going to say, Frank, it, it was almost the year of the convention for us because we did <laughs> yeah, we yeah. did the Games Expo, we did uh, Tabletop Gaming Live, and I did Tabletop Scotland. Mm, yeah. And we had the Arkham and Flames event as well. Yeah. So that was really good fun. Yeah, that was really cool. And sort of various... Uh, I was going to say notches in the bedpost, but that's not <laughs> what I mean. Various, uh, yeah, collected conventions. It was really fun, really good. Hopefully we'll do more this year. Fingers crossed. 
watching some of the news come out of FFG about the layoffs and generally the sort of the shift in focus has been one thing I've noticed is I've ended up wondering about what will happen worldwide, what will happen with the game, will conventions be run in the same way, all of that kind of thing. It's it's interesting how knowing that there's uncertainty at one end of the chain has sent me straight to wondering about what happens next elsewhere. So yeah, it's just a small observation. But enough about that. That's some, probably something for another episode. So Peter, what's at the top of your podcast goals for the next three years? <laughs> I think I've, I've said this every time, but my, my aim is mainly to get featured on a card. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I'd forgotten that. Referenced or an in-joke or some, just something that I can point to the card and say, that was me. That's main the main reason I'm doing this, okay, if I'm honest. Yeah. Secondary to that, I would really like to interview some more people. Mm, yeah. Some interesting interesting folks connected to the game tangentially or or maybe even not at all, just connected to gaming mm-hmm. or to, to horror fiction. I don't know. I'd really like to speak to small people. I think that would be good. Yeah, I agree. That'd be really good. And I think um, connected to that is also wanting more diversity on the cast. Like we've both talked off air that we're two guys and there are definitely other people out there who are interested in this game who aren't more guys. So it would be good to cover that as well. We actually, we sort of nearly had an interview lined up and then it fell apart. It's happened a couple of times actually, hasn't it? So yeah, watch the space, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I think that kind of thing happens. Yeah. Yeah, it just happens. Especially when we're just two two lads (laughs) (laughs) doing this off our own backs. You know, it's not like we've got money to spend and just don't have a... I don't know. I don't want to say we haven't got much at stake, but if we we, don't get an interview, we just do another episode, can't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely. Uh, how about you? What are your podcast goals? Well, just before I go on from that, when you said you wanted to be okay. featured on a card, yes, <laughs> I watched the film Dodgeball yesterday. Have you seen Dodgeball? Oh, man, I have. Y- you know what? Can I make a confession? Go on. I don't like Will Ferrell. Sorry, that's a, Will Ferrell. He's not in. He's not in Dodgeball. So. Is he not in no. it? Is he not, <laughs> uh, can, can you edit this out? Then? That's a good confession to make. I don't know why you're making it, but there we go. It definitely seems like the kind of film he's in. Yeah, he's not in it. No. <laughs> I'm mixing it up with another film. Okay. Anyway, all I want to say is that the Vince Vaughn's character is called Peter Lafleur, and at one point he says, "It's me, Peter." <laughs> Does he? Yeah. No way. And Andrew was like, "That's where Peter got it from." I was like, mm, I'm, I'm, <laughs> "I'm pretty sure not," but yeah. So Definitely. you've already been immortalized in Dodgeball. You've gone back in time and got them to use your line. So yeah, my podcast goals. More, I mean, it's a it's a bit of a boring one, more quality content. Like, you know, I think I always say this, I want to do really high quality episodes and good episodes. And I'm kind of aware that I'm, as I'm a bit of a completionist, so I quite like that we've started various series of things, but I want to carry them on. So like, investigate specific episodes, I'm always keen to shine the spotlight on. And I'm always keen to kind of get into the knottier details about things. Yeah. You always say to me, can we do these investigators because we haven't done them yet? You've got a big yeah. list of yeah, the investigators list. we've yeah. covered and haven't covered. And you're always pressuring me. Well, we start to kind of make progress towards like, um, oh, yeah, we've nearly done half of them. And then a new deluxe comes out. And then it looks like we've yeah. barely done any. So I'm sort of, it's like we were talking off air. You're talking about The Witcher and completing things. It's that feeling of completion and ticking off, you know, the achievement of... Now we've done another few. Now we've done yes. another. Yeah. And, and then you'll say to me, oh, uh, well, I'll be excited about speaking about a particular investigator. And yeah. Oh, this this investigator is really interesting me. I'd, I'd love to talk about them on the cast. And you say, well, not until we've done. <laughs> yeah, we've not Sit done. down and do Ursula, and then you can do the new investigator, Peter. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm my own worst enemy there. I should just accept whichever one you want to do. Okay, feedback taken. Frank, this is a question to you. Kind of from okay. you, uh, yeah. I will ask it by proxy. What's the yeah. deal with Arkham and Flames 2020? Great question, Peter. I'm really Thank impressed you. you came up with that question. Only a genius would come up with such Thank a... Thank you. Thank you. Beautifully put together question. Yeah, I wanted to just mention Arkham and Flames 2020 because we've had people asking. There's been interest. And we 
definitely didn't close the door on doing it. So I can see where that's come from. Um, the short story is I had a lot of trouble finding a venue and ran into less time than I was expecting when I started my diploma. So I found myself in a quite stressed position trying to find a good venue with less time to do so. You and I had some conversations behind the scenes, Peter, and thought actually it probably wasn't worth compromising on it being good if we weren't sure or it wasn't worth me driving myself crazy about. It's probably another fair assessment of it. So we thought we would just put a pin in it. I think I should add as well that one of my goals with Arkham and Flames is giving people enough notice. And I know that seems like a trivial thing, but I think that's always felt important to me, at least, that people get enough warning so that they can organise to come. And It's it's definitely been something people have have mentioned to us when Mm. they've talked about it. Can you give us enough notice? And in fact, that's why they're mentioning it. It's like, well, it was around this time last year. And if it is again, I want notice now so I can I can book myself hotels or, or time off or whatever. Mm, yeah, I've heard that loud and clear. I think you have too. And we care about that. Like we're also, there's events that you and I have both missed because we haven't had enough time to be able to get to them and people are busy. Uh-huh. So giving people warning and notice is a, is a good thing to do. So as the end of the year was approaching and we still hadn't really nailed down uh, a venue and one that was satisfactory, that was then the point where I was thinking, well, if we delay, it's starting to get close to the expo. And then, you know, we're sort of trying to find the right time. But uh, that also means, like, I'm not, I'm quite keen to do another Arkham in Flames, but it just might yeah, not me be too, this yeah. year. Or it might be a different time this year, um, depending on how we can fit things together. And the the positive thing about it is, as actually my relationship with a couple of places has probably got a bit better because we've had to have tough conversations about what we want, what I won't compromise on as well. Yeah. It, the venue was something that a lot of people mentioned in bits of feedback as well, or particular mm. things about the venue. It's quite important to a lot of people, and it's important to us as well. Mm. Yeah. So it was a thing we wanted to get right when we were yeah. when we were planning it. As you say, it didn't quite come together. Not, yeah. you know, just... Neither of us had that. I'm not in London, so it's hard. I can't go and see mm. places, and I don't really understand where it's going to be, where it could mm. be, where it's useful for it to be. Yeah. So a lot of that pressure to do that was on you, Frank. When, as you say, you were busy with other stuff as well. Mm. And to be fair, I did see a fair number of places, but then there's you also a lot of places. Like weighing up what's a reasonable cost as well, and yeah, it was challenging basically, but. The the positive side of this is that we're not giving up on the idea of doing them again. It's just, you know, it's always the second time is always going to be tougher, isn't it? Everything that was difficult straightforward. Yeah, exactly. Everything that was straightforward in March 2019 has proved much more complicated in October, well, September, October 2019. So, yeah. But all of this is to say it's on hiatus. Yeah, I think that's the best I can do. And our enthusiasm for it hasn't diminished. I will say that we're going to be appearing at various conventions mm-hmm. this year, yeah. again, is the plan, yes. whether yeah. representing Asmodee, representing ourselves, running events, or just trying to play in some stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're gonna. I, what I'm going to try and do is just confirm the ones we're going to, because mm. yeah. there's definitely three that are on the cards. Yeah. And I'm going to be at Tabletop Scotland, for mm. sure. Yeah. And there's a couple of other ones. I'm going to try and just do a calendar on the Facebook page and maybe share it around the place so you can see when we're going to be where running events. Mm, yeah. And it'd be great to see people at those events as well. And there's a really cool now we know Blob is coming out. So chance of running Blob events. And I think you're going to do something in Edinburgh with Blob. And Yes, I'll talk about that right at the end because cool. there's a wee announcement to make on that. And I um, would love to do blob-related things in London, a little bit like I did with Labyrinths when that first came out. So, like, hopefully maybe we'll have some micro drawn to the flame-related things as well, as opposed to a big arc in flames, because some of those things are a bit more manageable. So, yeah, events is very much still in our wheelhouse. Shall we dive into these uh, questions from patrons? Yes, let's. Cool. The first question. The Call of Cthulhu RPG has a number of books which allow it to be played in different eras of history. If a standalone scenario were produced for the LCG, which period would you enjoy playing in? Do you want me to answer this? Are we going to alternate yeah. the questions? Is that, or are we both going to answer them? 
Um, I'll try and answer as well if I have a good thought. All right, you'll try. Yeah, Great. I'll try, yeah. Thanks, Frank. Yeah. I got up early for this. <laughs> well, I would say I'd like to see... The standalone adventures are a bit more globetrotting, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can be. They're more like... If the the base game and the cycles are Arkham Horror, the standalones are like Eldritch Horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I thought so. I was quite proud of that. <laughs> I would like to see a Scottish scenario. Yeah. Or at least a British scenario. I think that would be great. That would be really cool. Yeah. In terms of time period, you know, I've thought about this a bit, and I think a setting to align with horror films I like would be good. So, mm-hmm. 70s or 80s, maybe 80s, you know, kind of drawing influence from John Carpenter and Wes Craven and maybe a bit of Romero, those kind of okay Ameri- yeah. American horror directors. Yeah. Small town. But in Scotland. Well, separate. I think a, a, a kind of 1700s or 1600s Scottish one would be quite quite good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be really good. Yeah. That'd be really fun. You could have sort of like um, like riding in coaches and uh, spooky coaching inns and things like that. That'd Absolutely, yeah. Fun. There's actually there's a there's a, an expansion, like a source book, for Call of Cthulhu called Shadows of Scotland, yeah, which is really good. I can recommend that to anyone. It's it's really well researched. I tell you where there's like the necropolis in Glasgow, which would make a fantastic setting. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. and there's it. There's some story about an enormous. Eldritch beast in the sea off the north coast as well. Oh, that's cool. Sort of based in local legend. Mm, mm. That'd be really cool. Yeah. How about you? Well, funnily enough, my my thoughts turn to London. I've been vaguely toying with the idea of trying to design my own London-based scenario. Um, I think interwar London is quite a cool period period to cover. Obviously, it's all kind of changing in the city, and there's been you know, massive amounts of death in the First World War and it's all a bit kind of rough and tumble and that could be really cool. I think that would be, yeah, would be kind of fun. I quite like when Arkham takes you to places that you don't actually know. Like I like the Parisian scenarios in Carcosa, but there's a requirement for them to have some level of accuracy, I suppose. And when Arkham is just off wherever it wants to be, that's sort of in its own way empowering. So maybe like... um an alternative London rather than just a London in a specific period. I think that's quite cool as well. Yeah. That's just personal, personal preference. I find when fictional things try to give a very accurate representation of a real world analog, that can sometimes be a little bit jarring if they don't do it really well. Isn't there a, there's a, is it when you're in the Nexus of Ankai, you see the windows through to, different times and alternate worlds yeah right? there's ruins of new york yeah yeah yeah, yeah i quite like that post-apocalyptic, yeah that's nice. post-apocalyptic new york yeah 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 exactly i've driven it back to john carpenter again <laughs> an escape from new york what yeah imagine a london but where great britain has lost the first world war so yeah you know mm, that could interesting be fascinating yeah that's i think that's what i'd like to do maybe the other place i'd love to go is like wilds of russia Somewhere really, I mean, I think you could do a similar thing with Canada, but like it would be really cool to take investigators to a place where they don't speak the language and maybe where the alphabet is different. That could be really fun as well, just for that like feeling of dislocation and uh, horror. I'm starting to stand like Stephen now, aren't I? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Lost in the wilderness. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's me. That question was from Jamie. Who's next? We've got Andy C. I used to see a there's a drum and bass. DJ called Andy C. to see him quite often at the Union. Mm. Andy has oh. asked, does, uh, I assume it's not the same Andy C. Does an, an LCG ever become too big? Arkham Horror LCG is my first game of this type. Given your experience of others, does there come a point when there's simply too much content, hashtag content, both for experienced players and beginners? Mm. That's a really good question. So my, my gut answer would be potentially yes. Um, and a kind of yes that we'd probably have to explore a bit further and immediately my thoughts turned two games Lord of the Rings and Netrunner and I remember the experience of getting into Netrunner when there was maybe too much content for me to buy but actually then what I found was I quickly understood what cards were good or not 
just through immersing myself in that game. But then my experience of Lord of the Rings, the reason I didn't get deeper into Lord of the Rings was I think four cycles were out when I got into it and I bought one cycle and then that was enough for me. I hadn't played it enough to want to go any deeper. So that would be a time when I'd say maybe it was too big for me. But yeah, I was sort of, I'd say a hesitant, there's a risk there. A connected thought that I that, that makes me sad is having cards that I'm not playing with. And I think that's a my problem rather than an LCG's problem. Like the reality is there will always be cards in these games that aren't as popular. You have to be a very particular kind of player to pick the weaker cards and you know get them out of the binder once in a while. But yeah, that I can see that being a turn off for other people as well. How about you, Peter? Well, I've thought about this quite a bit. I think because mm. I used to play a lot of Netrunner, as I mentioned multiple times on this cast. Yeah, I think the the distinguishing line between Arkham Horror and Netrunner is that Netrunner is a competitive game, and when mm-hmm. you play, really the only vector for measuring success is is beating people. And if you're at an organized tournament, it's winning a tournament or doing well in a tournament. So mm, yeah, you've only got that vector by which to approach the game. And, you know, you you might, well, one would hope you would enjoy playing the game as well. Mm. So and anything which pushes you towards winning more games, if you're not playing with, inverted commas, the best cards, then you're at a disadvantage on that on that vector of how you perform in the game, right? Mm. Yeah. There's no, there's no, although it's been talked about a lot, there's not really, there's, you, you might get a sportsmanship prize at a tournament. But there's not mm, yeah. most interesting deck or most thematic deck prizes. Mm. And importantly, there's not a narrative you're following. So completing the narrative is a goal. And how you get there, you know, you don't need the best deck to get to the end of the narrative. Mm, yeah. And you might want to explore that narrative even. You might want to say, okay, well, I've done that. What happens if I do this? Uh, and, mm. and, you know, you might have an example from like the Path to Carcosa, where one path or the other needs better evasion or better fighting. Mm-hmm. So the, that that's in a part is driving how you build your decks. Now, obviously, having more options to build your decks makes it easier to perform. But then again, maybe all that does possibly is let you play on the higher difficulties. Mm, yes, yeah. So that's a long way of saying I don't think having a massive card pool is as vital to enjoy the game at any level as it is for a competitive card game. Mm, yeah and i think you know realistically a player could pick up the latest cycle start collecting from there and then probably just be happy i know a few people have done that who've got a cycle and then pick up another cycle later on yeah i know people who've skipped a cycle as well yeah they've they've kept playing but they just not bought a single cycle and then rejoined after a sort of cycles break that's possible too. I think there's a an extra element here that's really important, which is also about community attitudes towards completion. If you're in a community that assumes everyone has every single card, that means conversations will be dictated around, I have all of these cards. And if someone says, well, I'm actually new to the game and I've only got a cycle's worth, how other people respond to that and go, well, oh, you need to buy all the cards before we'll talk to you. Or the, what, what I actually see in Arkham, the people go, okay, so the cards you have here are some useful things you can do. You know, oh, you've only got Dunwich. Well, Shortcut's a really good card. Quick Thinking's a really good card. Put those cards in your deck. So, that, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. The, the attitude around the community. And I think one of the things that I really like about Arkham is it seems like people are open to the idea that people are coming to the game new or have only just got into the game and that that isn't some kind of drawback. It's not like they're joining a seasoned community and they need to catch up in some way, which I like. I really liked your point about competitive games, actually. I know that Team Covenant put it a lot more starkly than you did, where they talked about if you wanted to get into Game of Thrones now, you're committing to losing for six months to a year. Yeah, yeah. And it's that thing of, you know, that my eyes really widen when I hear that. I think just losing straight for six six months or a year, and it's like, you know, you need to buy all the cards, you need to learn the card pool, you need to learn your deck, you need to then learn how to play all of your matchups and that's just a guaranteed losing streak for a period of time which when when it's put like that is you think why would anyone get into one of these competitive games the other thing is i've started playing gwent recently the oh yeah the, the card game not the game in the witcher but the card game version and the one difference i'd say is that i entered this game knowing that i don't have all the cards i have none of the cards i've just started and I'm not willing really to pay any money at the moment. I'm starting to become tempted. But just to see how did I get on. 
And I, the only thing that's really different playing this game than many other games I've played is that my mindset was not minding if I'm losing or winning. So I took that condition that you said, how do you, the vector by which you judge success is win or loss. And I've kind of put that to one side and I've said, well, my goal is going to be enjoyment and I'm going to fiddle around with the cards I own and see if I can do fun things. And I have really been enjoying it, but I have recently now climbed up the ladder a bit and started hitting that point where some decks just annihilate my deck. And at that point, what can I do beyond like go, well, I don't have the cards. That's okay. You know, I'll, I'll win a different matchup. So yeah, that's, I think there's something to be said there for kind of what attitude one brings into playing a new competitive game. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd, I'd be interested to see what the, the drop off in sales figures is like for Arkham compared to say Game of Thrones or Necroneer or any of the other ones as well. Mm, L5R, I, yeah. I'm sure those LCGs, start off strong, maybe a boost after one or two cycles, Mm -hmm. but then tail off until they get cancelled. Interesting. Yeah, quite possibly. Because they just become... They never get easier for a new player to get into. Yeah. It's a a problem I don't think um, FFG have ever solved for the competitive LCGs. So I'd be really interested to see what it looks like for for their games. Yeah. I wondered if they should have kicked in with rotation two cycles earlier with Netrunner. Potentially, you know, yes. They were waiting until the end of cycle eight before they started rotating things out from cycle one and two. Marvel doesn't really have cycles, right? They they sort of announced there were going to be three heroes and some campaign pack coming out in a row, but you don't need to buy... My understanding is you don't need to buy all three of those heroes to fill in a story. You just buy what you want to play. So, yeah, Interesting. it's sort of like even the idea of committing to a campaign is removed from Marvel. Should we go on to the next question? Yes, let's. Okay, so this is a question from Andy P, another one of the Andys. Uh, Which scenario do you A, now love that you disliked on first playthrough, B, hate after initially enjoying, or C, think has the best unique encounter set? It's a three-parter. He's done a cunning thing, putting all of them in one question. I know, yeah. Man, hate is a strong word, Mm. Andy. Uh, I don't think there's many scenarios that I really hate. I would say I'm, sh- I'm I did, shaking my head as well. Yeah, I did really enjoy my first play of Echoes of the Past, mm-hmm. and then have enjoyed it less on subsequent playthroughs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's probably a couple of other scenarios like that. I don't know, but there's many that I've really disliked, and even fewer when I've subsequently come round on them after multiple plays. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you got any good examples of that? Well, Echoes of the Past is a good one because it's it's one where the more I've looked under the hood of it, so to speak, the less I like it. So mm. actually talking to Matt about it made me realise, you know, there's no willpower challenges in that scenario. It's got quite a nice kind of catch-up mechanic. So as the as the agenda advances, you, you don't get more and more punished. It basically just shuffles the encounter deck. So it's quite generous in that way, which actually, it removes a lot of the level of risk. If you can stay on top of that scenario, it's sort of fine. So that's one that I may be lukewarm on. The, the other one, actually, this, this I think might surprise you, Curtain Call. I remember okay, loving Curtain yeah, Call. Yeah. And my recent experience of Curtain Call is it's really become a scenario just to get through you know, ideally without trauma, but also with the trauma of your choice, if you can manage it and just scrape as much XP as you can and get out. And I think it's partly because there are other more enjoyable first scenarios like Witching Hour Mm -hmm. and partly because maybe I've not been... I'm talking solo now as well. But yeah, my return to Carcosa experiences has just been like, got to power through this scenario not really looking it's the hump i have to get through i think also last king is so enjoyable there's so many like uh just from the way the scenario is set up you can really like plan a route and then you get moved around you know it's really a lot of a lot of power in the hands of the player in the way that curtain call is trudge to the left trudge yeah. back to the right i i like i like last king in that you know it's it's difficult enough that you're challenged but also with a good plan and a, and a focus you can you can really rinse that yeah i think the, the the other one that just kind of quickly comes to mind actually is the f- first one in the dream eaters cycle uh, beyond the so, gates sorry. of sleep yes not working nightmare beyond the gates of sleep yeah 
and I think that that's got a, an extended situation or scenario at the beginning mm-hmm. where you you descend the steps. Yeah, and it's it, it almost feels like a prologue before you get into the forest and then you can start exploring. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's entirely linear. And while I enjoyed it the first time, I think it's become a bit of a slog on subsequent playthroughs. Mm. For me now, that's just the challenge of how quickly can I get through? How much time? Because it's double doom while you're in the steps. Yes. Like how quickly can I get through that? So yeah, I don't I don't mind that, but it is very linear. You know what each location is going to do. You just got to yeah. throw yourself down the stairs, basically. Uh, yes. One that I now really like, but I disliked on a first playthrough. This is probably slightly meta, but um, Heart of the Elders Part A. Yeah. I found being back in the jungle really annoying. And this is the one where you're collecting the pillars. I found that, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, no, not the jungle again. It's so tough. Blah, blah, blah. But now that I played a lot more Forgotten Age, I actually quite welcome the return to the jungle feeling. And one of the things that's really struck me is a lot of people talk about playing Heart of the Elders A where you just keep resigning and you kind of slowly crawl your way through it. But I don't do that. And I have a way of playing that scenario where you can essentially collect all your clues and then turbo to the end. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really enjoyable way of playing that scenario. And it really tests your knowledge of the jungle map and kind of generally your efficiency. Uh, It's slightly dependent on how you've done in Boundary Beyond. But that to me makes that quite a pressurized scenario it's very short as well and i yeah i quite like that now i mean again love is quite a strong word but definitely i warmed to that scenario as one that i've maybe cracked and really look forward to dealing with and what about the best unique encounter set that part c of ndp's question uh that's another good question this is a hard i I find it difficult to remember what was in a scenario and what was in the the packs of the scenario oh i've got a couple of options here well, just the one that came to mind for me was yeah. the secret name. Mm, yeah, meddlesome familiar, uh, yes. strange geometry. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, and it has pulled by the stars as well, the one where if you don't move, you take horror. It's nice. Yes, really yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was probably one on my list. I thought a couple of other ones jumped up for me. I thought the Before the Black Throne cards, including Mindless Dancer, yes. is just... I really like how that scenario really has a theme of Azatoth slowly stirring and awaking. And yeah. It really came through in the encounter cards, I felt. Mm. Yeah. And those mindless dancers can do one as well. They're kind of Oh, scary. God, yeah. 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 Another one I thought, City of Archives, is just... Not only are the, the encounter cards, you know, it's got things like Captive Mind and all the different idioms. Not only are they themselves good, but because of the scenario, the other cards that make up the encounter deck become terrifying. So, yeah. like, rot- Rotting Remains is just really scary in that scenario because everyone has willpower too, yeah. which is, yeah, that's kind of cool twist. The one, the other notable mention, I think, for the, by best, I mean, the set that is most likely to make me swear in fury is Search for Kadath. It has that song of the Magabird, which attaches to your location. If you leave the location, you place a doom on the agenda. Like, yeah. that can do one. I hate that. <laughs> and when we played Search for Kadath recently, it just kept cropping up. And, yeah, it was infuriating. The The Search for Kadath encounter set is, like, pretty mean, I think. I need to go back through it. I've only done it once. I, I don't think... I don't remember finding it too difficult. But then again, maybe that's... I'm thinking again of the... the Like, the... Sorry, the deluxe set. Ex- cards, yeah. Cards rather than the actual mm. Mythos pack cards. I think Search for Kadath has got some quite mean little combos there because it's also got that one. It's got, from the deluxe, it's got Prismatic Cascade, which is the one where you can't, you cost an extra action to move, play, or gain a resource or something like that. It's like the sort of the equivalent of Frozen in Fear. And then in Search for Kadath, there's Wondrous Lands, which means when you investigate, you have to either raise the shroud by two or take a horror. And the only way to get rid of Prismatic Cascade is investigating. So they combine really nicely, like making investigate tests harder and then also taxing you for doing the lovely things that you'd normally be doing. Yeah, it's mean. It's horrible. I hate it. And it therefore (laughs) keeps me excited. Cool. Should we move on to another question? Yes. This question is from Jesse. What has been your most powerful thematic experience so far and which scenario? And which scenario continues to be the most thematic for you? Mm, good question, Jesse. 
I've mentioned before on the cast Blood on the Altar and the theme of kind of creeping around yeah, yeah. sleepy Dunwich Village. I think actually I just mentioned City of Archives as well. I've had many a good experience in City of Archives. And I think one of the things that's so fantastic about that scenario is that the line between investigator and player is very thin because as your investigator is working out to use a new body, you as a player are working out how to play this new investigator and you're looking at your deck going, but these cards are useless. You know, actually, particularly as a mystic, you're like, yes, shriveling. Oh, I've got willpower too. Why would I put this in my deck? All the spells you've learned start being useless. So there's this weird like mirroring of theme and mechanics that, yeah, for me is like super delicious. Um, how about you, Peter? There's a few that spring to mind for me. I, I think I've said this before, but I, the pallid mask still gives me that feeling of exploring a subterranean labyrinth. Mm, yeah. I've, I've been to the catacombs in real life and it, it really does feel oppressive so I don't know whether I'm borrowing from that feeling when I, I play the scenario well how amazing that the scenario can trigger that feeling for you though yeah well yeah exactly yes I, I do quite like I, I made a couple of notes here and I did put down Essex County Express mm, which I know okay. I, like a lot of people don't like that scenario yeah it's always been one of my favorites mainly because it's on a train but this, yeah. I like the idea of you like kind of scrambling up the train as they the carriages disappear behind you, mm-hmm. and you know exactly where you're trying to get to the front of the train. Yeah, I just uh, I think it, it works. It's a nice thematic experience. Mm-hmm. And I must say, I think the uh, the circle undone cycle, I, I think the encounter cards across that cycle have been really thematic as well. Mm-hmm. You feel that weight of weight of the past pressing on you. Yeah, yeah. One of my favourite bits is Wages of Sin, where it yeah. starts off and everything's really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful autumnal scene, yeah. Yeah, and then and then the mythos starts invading as those those locations get flipped and ghosts start to, to creep in and stuff like that. I think that's really good. Yeah. Oh, really and good. and I love the beginning, the witching hour, where you're lost in the woods and you're you're separated from the other players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a true. really powerful experience you kind of don't miss the support they give you until it's gone yeah and you're just there like clawing your way through the underbrush trying to trying to find your way out i think that's it's it's a really good start to that campaign yeah i'd agree yeah it's a really good campaign i think isn't it funny that circle undone bold prediction here i think in the future people will look back on circle undone really kindly because i think it really pulls together in terms of theme but it's not necessarily explicit so that feeling of kind of sinking dread as encounter cards fill up in your threat area nothing is necessarily hitting you immediately in the face or not every scenario but just the sense of threat is really strong and really pervasive and there's not much you can kind of do about it like there's a quite a lot of cards that are just this thing happens to you and you're like oh damn that's another damage or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's no test to avoid it I was playing some recently that one of the cards I really like is Centuries of Secrets. It's that willpower five test. And for each point you fail by, you just discard a card from the encounter deck. But if you discard any curses, you take a direct damage and every ally takes a direct damage. So you can completely, like you can tentacle that test, discard five cards and nothing happens. Yeah. Or you can fail by one, discard a card and take a damage. So it's really unpredictable about what's going to happen. Like failure and success can be the same thing and i really like that actually i think there's it's kind of subtly menacing and what's the one that triggers when the encounter deck runs out evil past yes because they that that again like it doesn't seem so bad yeah but then you they stack up because they they can no you can only have one you can only have one evil past but everyone could like everyone on the table could have one yeah yeah yeah, I, I think that that's a really nice it combos really nicely with mm. the other cards that are milling the encounter deck. Yeah, and you can only get rid of evil past at that point when the encounter deck runs out. Yes. So if you're a low willpower person and you're worried about taking repeated bursts of horror, you're sort of suddenly your focus changes from completing the scenario to I need to make sure I have enough willpower icons ready because the encounter deck's about to run out, and you know I need to clear this card. And invariably what happens is you then draw another one in the next mythos as soon as you've cleared it. You're like, no! Yeah. Love that. 
And there's a follow-up question here from Glyn. What's been your most hilarious or nonsensical thematic moment so far? I, I love using this example, but the, the stubborn detective at the edge of the universe. Mm. The stubborn detective is the root of a lot of hilarious theme interactions. Absolutely, yeah. You could just be in the dreamlands and then up he pops. <laughs> How has he followed you into the dream? Are you dreaming of the stubborn detective at that point? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, or you know, you, or, or the world is collapsing around you, and there's you know extra dimensional beasts staring down your wall, and suddenly he pops up. He's like, right, I spoke to you about a murder. It's like, yeah, mate, we've got more it. important things going on here. <laughs> you know, look around. <laughs> My Patrice deck has mob enforcer as its basic weakness. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, every so often, the occasion will arise where you'll get what from another dimension and mob enforcer so it's like the kind of crazy terrifying extra dimensional creature and also a guy from the mob who's like patrice you owe us money (laughs) (laughs) i can't handle these two separate things yes Uh, my probably most hilarious or nonsensical thematic moment is an ongoing series of moments which i'm very fond of which is every time tony's quarry doesn't do anything and I would love a kind of car- comic strip of the poor little deep one who it's like the deep one who could yeah. like every time he appears just at the witching hour. So you can just ignore the quarry yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the yeah. doom is useless or when it appears in depths of Yoth and you immediately go down another depth. So it just gets sent to pursuit and doesn't do anything. And I've had so many occasions where Tony's quarry appears and it's sort of like a sad trombone moment of like Tony doesn't need to pursue it. It's it's not a problem. And we all just laugh and leave this little deep one alone. <laughs> and, you know, it's like the art on it. It's kind of crouching under a bridge looking yeah, sorry yeah. for itself. So, yeah, he's single handedly making Tony a pacifist. It's really good. OK, should we go on to the next question? Mm-hmm. This is from Jared. What new conceptual innovative product would you like to see ffg announce for the future of arkham or Mm. what's a product or service do you think they can provide that further supports games of arkham Mm, wow okay very much my jam this question yeah and uh i've seen that you've put some notes but i've not read them and if you say what what i've written i'm going to be furious frank (laughs) i would say no no i but where my head is going to is actually back to that question about can an lcg get too big and i wonder about other ways of letting people access the game but beyond that i don't know quite what the other thing i would love is a way for people to play at a local game night that allows like maybe a rule set or something that allows for players to step in and step out yeah i think that would be really good but what i really would like actually because like even that stepping in and stepping out, you're losing something for the kind of campaign feeling. Like if we have a group of four players and then someone can't make it, it just doesn't feel like the same story. What's the point in playing three? You know you know what I mean? Like I like the idea in theory of players being able to swap, but that somehow detracts from the actual story experience. So if there was a campaign where you were almost obliged to switch players, that would actually work really well with how organized play might work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe something like that. What about you, Peter? Well, I've written a few things. Mm-hmm. First of all, yeah. like you say, I think a product which allows people to get into the game with a good deck, okay, more easily. Yeah. Uh, and I've referenced Marvel. Okay, yeah. Marvel does like a deck in a box. It's not the most optimized deck, and obviously those cards can be used by other players as well. Yeah, but I'm sure we talked about this with Stephen. Imagine if mm. inst- you know we got a deluxe box. And rather than having the player cards, there was five expansions released. Each had a different player deck in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because how many player cards do we get in a cycle? Four and then roughly two per pack, which is what, 12. So it's like 16 player cards per faction, which doubles up to 32, right? You could get your... Yeah, I mean, potentially that works if the packs were smaller. You'd get your, like... 32 survivor cards and patrice in a in a box so you could knit that you drop a couple of those cards and you play i think where it gets complicated as well is that marvel obviously has a much simpler model that you pick any hero and then pick any aspect and you're good to go mm-hmm. and like if you're opening a skids deck in a box you'd want some guardian cards some rogue cards maybe some neutrals you know uh, it's, it's like 
part of the joy of Arkham is actually the weirdness of deck building, isn't it? So yeah, no, that's that's a good idea. Any other products or services? You'd plenty, like? plenty more. Okay, <laughs> I would love some product that's like a crossover with other lines as well, or okay. like a like a global campaign. I think could be really cool. Wow. Okay, global as in everyone's feeding into the same results or something like, or or maybe like. Mm player results impact on on what happens ultimately yeah that could be really good yeah even a way of running our own global campaigns i suppose yes a way of saying look this is what we're playing and a local group of 10 players can all feed into that or whatever it is that'd be really good yeah or like he's done two mini campaigns with the dream eaters what if he did four and everyone did two scenarios and there was a crossover after the first scenario where Mm, everyone's progress in the first scenario impacted how they played the second one yeah that could be really good yeah oh yeah i like that and then i'd also love to see and I've, I've tried coming up with ideas for this but i'd love to see a draft set of some sort because mm, yes. i love that that feeling of drafting and trying to make a reasonable deck with you know the actual garbage you've picked up in the in the draft yeah yeah arkham has some of that feeling already and mm-hmm. there's lots of the survivor cards that are themed around improvisation and making do yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether you think... just use the survive. Everyone uses the survivor <laughs> skill set, and- but I don't yeah. know how. I don't know how to make it add that because a draft's always got that element of competition in it. Whether mm. you, you have multiple groups doing it or something like that. Well, funnily enough, I was thinking about drafting just recently for Arkham specifically, and I'd share some thoughts. One thought I had was that it could be an eight-person draft, and you split into teams of two after the draft. Yeah. And so you all have the same scenario to play in pairs. Yeah. But you've all drafted from a shared pool. Yeah, I, I think that works. And you get a chance to discuss with your partner before you go in mm-hmm. and maybe pick up some some hints or something between the two of you, a way of communicating between the two of you. So then I thought that maybe you could have draft IDs. And yeah. for instance, say the draft pool is made of five factions. Each of the IDs has access to three factions. So... Between you, you know, I might steer clear of the Mystic and the Survivor cards because I know that your ID has the Mystic and the Survivor cards. And that adds that element of, but if I don't draft these cards, maybe the person to my right is going to draft them rather than you. Yeah. And sort of balancing that, what are we looking for as a pair, could be really interesting. Um, I also thought, I assumed maybe that every deck would get Flashlight, uh, Emergency Cash and Unexpected Courage. So you have the sort of a core of the deck put in yes my idea would be that you uh everyone has like a base draft investigator and yeah. a pretty terrible weakness maybe like uh what's it called what's the third one in the chain of doomed <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah wow okay yeah uh but you include weaknesses and investigators in the pool so if you don't Ooh. want doomed in your deck you have to you have Ooh, to like draft that. a weakness from one of the hands so if you oh, get your hand okay, and it's yeah. got machete and amnesia in it you're like, well, do I do I want to pick the machete because the next person's definitely going to pick it, or yeah. do I want to get that weakness so I know I've got the horrible weakness out of my deck? Yeah, and I suppose you can include XP cards in there. Yeah, that yeah, aren't necessarily yeah. going to be like the straight upgrades. Yeah. So it's like if there's an XP, you know, like um, blackjack level two. You know, people don't always want to take blackjack level two. It's not like strictly the best upgraded weapon in guardian but you could be like okay well maybe i can make this work if i if i rely on my partner to engage everything then suddenly this is quite a reliable weapon yeah or whatever it is yeah or you know you see a shriveling level three but your character only has a willpower of two you're like um this is still a really good card does it fit with my investigator yeah that could be really cool let's do it let's make the draft yeah well i've got some notes on what goes in the in the pool yeah, so we can have a chat about that. Some at the point and do another cast on it. The really cool thing would be if the pool for eight players could come from one person's player cards. Yes, but I don't. If everyone brings the core of flashlights and emergency cash yeah. and, and neutral skills, yeah, because I think that that would be your core. Is you've got yeah, probably two knives, two flashlights, two cash, and then two of each of the the neutral skills. Yeah. And then you just work out what's in the pool itself. Because if you've got eight players and they each need to put 20 cards in their deck, that's what, 160 cards to draft? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's actually very manageable at that point. 
you could even go higher, right? You could go up to 200 cards or so, and one player's collection can support that. Yeah, yeah. Ish, he says. <laughs> Having said 200, and they're like, oh, how, how many cards are there in the game? There must be enough for that, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Should we move on to the last question? Yes, please, let's do. It's from Martin. Thanks, Martin. Do either of you ever play with any of the general ultimatums active? If so, which ones do you think add the most to the experience of Arkham? We've not really talked about ultimatums on the cast, have we? No, uh, that I don't know whether you're the same, but I don't think I've I ever really used them, except mm. outside of special scenarios. Yeah, I I'm trying to think as well. I don't think I've used any apart from planning to do Undimension and Unseen with its ultimatums, which I then never did. Yeah, yeah. The ones that kind of catch my eye are for different reasons. I love the idea of the ultimatum of finality, which is the one that when you're defeated, you're killed. Yes. So it adds a real layer of like hard mode or no no save mode to the game, which is kind of cool. I love ultimatum of chaos and I love building chaos decks on Arkham DB just for the fun of it. Like yeah. I think I would like to play a campaign with a chaos deck. Yeah, I think so. And that to an extent replicates the idea of drafting, right? Mm-hmm, Yeah. You've just got to make do with what you've got. Yeah, but there's th- th- takes even the element of recognizing what's the best card to draft away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I suppose with it, the fun thing there is then in the upgrading and how do I take this deck that I think might be a bit broken and kind of make it not so broken? So yeah, I could see that being like over an eight scenario campaign, you could probably still end up with quite a decent deck. As long as you get enough experience early on, I can see that being really enjoyable. Yeah. The other one I really like, which I haven't tried, is the one where you don't skip the first Mythos phase. Oh, that's interesting. I think that's, you know, again, it's a tweak for hardness, but I think it's quite quite a cool addition. It would obviously depend on party. Like, I think if you start with someone like, say, Rita, you don't mind if you draw a couple of encounter cards and one of them's an enemy. You're like, yeah, I can deal with that. Let's move on. But then I can see for other investigators that being completely destructive. How about for you, Peter? Any that catch your eye ultimatums-wise? I think some of the, the, the individual scenario challenge ones, as we said, like the Undimensioned and Unseen. I remember when that, mm. that article came out and we were both really hyped about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to sit down and do it, yeah. Yeah, it might be nice to, to just really get my heads together with some friends and think about how do we, how do we beat this? Mm. knowing that that's the only thing we've got to think about is this scenario and like go through the encounter cards figure out what your strategy for for every little bit of it is Mm. there is something in that it's a bit like that feeling you've got when you're planning the depths of yacht isn't it yeah yeah and last summer friend of the cast ben and i we we played uh the egypt scenarios guardians of the abyss twice uh no three times there's two scenarios we played in three times each time planning our decks and improving our decks to try and succeed in a better way and that was like a really fun summer project it was exactly what you just described we would every time we played we're going well hang on we had this particular card that we couldn't handle or this was really holding us up we need to get better and we sort of fine-tuned 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 it was a really satisfying project yeah very focused project yeah because that was before we played with tommy and patrice right yeah 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 yeah, because I hadn't played that second one at that oh, point. Oh, yeah, you'd not played, yeah, Knight's Usurper, yeah. And all that preparation didn't help because you had a terrible game, that game, I seem to remember. Yeah, <laughs> I had really, yeah. You had really absolutely bad. honking luck. Yeah. But that was the very first time we'd played with Tommy and we didn't we didn't know what, right? That was Yeah, that was, yeah. it was the first yeah, time we played with Tommy, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, And it didn't help that I was playing Tommy incorrectly. So I, the no. first couple <laughs> of things that died, I didn't shuffle back into his deck. I, I took the resources but then didn't do the shuffle, so yeah. But yeah, no, the crazy thing was we won that at whatever, one in the morning. So it was good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Patrice really just being mega flexible, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the guidance that I provided with my scenario knowledge. Sure. I mean, you sucked about... You know what, though? That was... It looks so hairy there. We were on the verge of giving up, weren't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end of the first section of it, we were just swamped with enemies. We were like, well, there's absolutely no way we can do this. yeah. And then I was like, well, I'll just tank a lot of hits and you'll evade (laughs) (laughs) everything and we'll see how we get on. Yeah. And um, Impromptu Barrier turned out to be the card of the game, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
impromptu barrier if you can get Patrice's agility high enough, which it turns out you can do. Yeah, just keep yeah. on chucking in those last chances. Mm. Mm. Yes. Very good. Cool. Well, that's the end of the mailbag for now. We've got some more questions, but we're going to answer them in a later episode. Obviously, if you're a patron and you're of a tier higher than Ghoul Million, you're always welcome to send us questions and we can answer questions either in mailbag episodes or just on individual casts. Thank you for all those questions sent in. We really appreciate them. So before we go, I need to shout out an event some colleagues are running in Edinburgh. I say colleagues, like co-people who are also playing the game. That's what I mean. Yeah. (laughs) They're running a blob event in aid of the uh, Australian firefighting effort. So they're raising money for the the fire service volunteers, which is the same thing that uh, Doovies have been doing as well. Good for him, yeah. Yeah. So they're running a variation on the blob scenario, and there's going to be some incentives to donate built into the actual game itself. Wow. So if you want extra countermeasures, I think they're actually setting up the game a bit harder than the base scenario is. So I think there'll okay. be fewer countermeasures to go around. I'm not exactly sure on that, but you can get all the details on the event. But what'll happen is it'll be like if you want to heal or you want some extra countermeasures, you can donate some money and then those are added to your supply. That's a really nice idea. Yes. Uh so as I say, it's all in aid of volunteer fire service. Yeah. And um, I we'll share the Facebook link in the description. So that's in Edinburgh uh, on the twenty third of February. Uh, McGowan's Lovely. Brew House, yep. which is Fountain Parks, so that's near where this, the View Cinema is. Any, any other details? Don't think so. Oh, and also there's a link to just donate anyway on the event page. Great. You can get in touch with us. We're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. We're drawn to the flame on Twitter and Facebook. We're also drawn to the flame on Patreon and Designed by Humans. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I'm United everywhere. That's U N I T L E D. I'm on. Uh, Reddit and Twitter and uh, Discord. I actually am on Instagram as the United. Mm. So you can look well, me up there. What? It's not like you, Peter, to change up the old ID. <laughs> well, you insist we do it live every single episode, <laughs> so you wouldn't. No, be... I meant I meant that you. Uh, it's the United, not United. Oh, I see. Your, yeah, your no. brand is so co- coherent across all platforms. It's more than possible. I actually set up an Instagram in the name of United at some point in the distant past, and I've just forgotten the sign-in details for it. So I had to pick something different and do yeah. the United instead. Fair enough. Sorry, um, Frank, if, I, if you, if you feel okay. I've left you, let you down. No, it's it's good. I no longer feel like I'm on the moral low ground that dragged <laughs> you down to my level. Yeah, I'm Zoe Glass and Zozo around the place. Come say hello. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Bye. When Tim Fiskus was 30, he lost the key of the Gate of Dreams. Prior to that time, he had made up for the prosiness of life by nightly excursions to strange and ancient cities beyond space, and lovely, unbelievable garden lands across ethereal seas. But as middle age hardened upon him, he felt these liberties slipping away little by little, until, at last, he was cut off altogether. No more could his galley sail up the river Ukranos, past the gilded spires of Thran, or his elephant caravans tramp through perfumed jungles in Cled, where forgotten palaces with veined ivory columns sleep lovely and unbroken under the moon. Beautiful. That's what happened to um, Randolph Carter, right? He lost the key. Yeah, yeah. It's it's our boy Randolph, also known as Tim. There was something very disturbing about the nauseous sketches and half-finished monstrosities that leered around from every side of the room. And when Brandon Hawkins suddenly unveiled a huge canvas on the side away from the light, I could not for my life keep back a loud scream the second I had omitted that night. Oh, the second scream he had emitted that night. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I get, I get it now. I get it. <laughs> cool. Stop. Oh, is that from?
That's Pikmin's, the Pikmin's Pikmin, model. Pik- yeah, I, I like that one actually. That's one of my favorite ones. Sorry, I'll stop. Sorry. Oh, you cats just chase themselves right across my laptop. Yeah, I just saw the typing happen. <laughs> oh, did he type something? Mm-hmm.